Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue if you dare. Welcome one and all to Agoraphobia 2022, a realm of those who have rejected spiritual values by yielding to bestial appetites or violence, or by perverting their human intellect to fraud or malice against their fellow men. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, for we begin this year with an entry from Pontifact's co-host, Bree who shares with us the story of a sinful woman. Imagine for a moment that you're visiting Rome. It's a brisk evening in early January, but you've decided to take a walk, to take in some of the sights on your own in the peace and quiet. You begin with a wander through the Piazza Navona, and as you do, you appreciate the beauty of the Palazzo Pamphili and the famous Fontana dei Quattro Fiumi fountain, illuminated with a flickering glow from lights within the water. Perhaps you know this fountain was designed by Bernini for Pope Innocent X for his family who lived in the palazzo. It's very beautiful and so intricate. After a moment of appreciation, you carry on down the street, eager for what more you might see. But as you approach the Tiber River, you look to the nearest bridge, the Ponte Sisto, and you see a carriage. It's a black carriage, looking very dated. It's being pulled by four horses, and it's absolutely hurtling across the bridge at top speed. You only get a glimpse of it as it disappears into the dark on the other side, and as it vanishes from sight, you hear a peal of shrieking laughter. It sounds like a woman, full of triumph. Someone is very pleased with themselves. As you shake your head and wonder at the oddness of it all, 
it doesn't occur to you that you've just seen Pimpatia, the woman of sin, the secret female pope, and one of Rome's most famous ghosts, reenacting her 17th century crime. Hi, I'm Brie of Pontifax, a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. It's not often we get to talk about women, but this is a papal story absolutely worth telling. And because it's a ghost story, it's perfect for October. So let's talk about Pimpatia, or to use her real name, Olympia Maidalkini Pamphili. Olympia was born in Viterbo in 1591 to a noble family, but one of relatively modest means compared to the major players in Rome. And that wasn't going to be enough for Olympia, because even at a very young age, she proved to be ambitious, with dreams of wealth and power for her future. One of Olympia's biographers, Gregorio Letti, reports that even as a child, Olympia was, quote, dominating by nature. She decided what games to play and always wanted to win. When she was told that her parents decided that all their daughters would be entering religious life to save on dowry costs, Olympia flat out refused. And even though this was humiliating to the family, by the age of 16, she had gone on to marry one of the wealthiest men in the city. So it worked out exactly as she had intended. We're not going to discuss that first marriage in any detail, because it was extremely short-lived, swiftly leaving Olympia a young widow, who was now quite accustomed to a higher and more opulent standard of living. It was her second marriage that would be more interesting to us. Just a few years later, Olympia managed to marry a prince of the Pamphili family, a noble Roman family who had been directly connected with the papacy since the late 1400s. This prince was Pamphilio Pamphili, who at the time of their wedding in 1612 was 30 years Olympia's senior. But this suited Olympia just fine. She was not all that interested in her husband, but she was very interested in his family and their influence. In particular, Pamphilio had a brother, Giambattista Pamphili, who was a prominent cardinal-to-be and the real center of the political power in the Pamphili family. Olympia spent quite a lot of time getting to know and getting close with her new brother-in-law. Very close. Some sources suggest the two were lovers, but this, of course, has never been verified. Some sources seem to discount this purely based on the fact that Giambattista was notoriously ugly and would later be described as having a face so horrible it scared children. But can I just say, he's a perfectly normal-looking man, according to his most famous portrait. And in any case, we do know that Olympia was more than happy to marry someone she was only minimally interested in, so this alone doesn't disprove the rumor. What we can absolutely verify, however, is that Olympia became the closest friend and advisor to Giambattista, and when he became cardinal, they spent more time together than Olympia did with her husband. And when he became the papal nuncio to the kingdom of Naples, Olympia and her husband went with him, and Olympia served as the cardinal's official hostess for important visitors. From this position, Olympia was able to garner a significant amount of influence for herself, and used that to enrich life for her whole family. Olympia's influence only grew further in 1639, when her husband Pamphilio died. She was now the head of the Pamphili household in full, 
all while being directly involved in her brother-in-law's networking and political machinations. Importantly, at this point, she began to wear widow's weeds, which she would for the rest of her life, dressing in all black as a veneer of propriety to continue solidifying her role within the family and potentially fend off a need to remarry. She was perfectly happy where she was, ruling for the Pamphili and being invaluable to Cardinal Jean-Baptiste. Then, five years later in 1644, Jean-Baptiste was elected Pope, becoming Pope Innocent X, and the closeness between them surged to a new level. She even intended to move into the Vatican with him. This didn't happen, although she, and only she, continued to have free access to the Pope. In no time, it was common knowledge in the papal court that to get anything through to the new Pope, one had to go through Olympia. And not to just catch her ear, but to bring her expensive gifts or outright bribes. And oftentimes, she would draft her personal decisions as directives and simply have the Pope sign them. As it was no secret that Pope Innocent acted only on Olympia's orders, she was often called Papessa, and it was often remarked by the cardinals that we have elected a female Pope. And Pope Innocent did nothing to dissuade the Church and the people of Rome from this notion, and appointed Olympia titles within her own right, making her Minister of the Streets of Rome, and Minister of Finance in the Vatican, and even the Princess of San Martino. And with access to Vatican riches, Olympia made herself, her children, and her family extremely comfortable. The House of the Pamphili in the Piazza Navona was expanded and enriched into a full palazzo, including the construction of the magnificent fountain of the Four Rivers by Bernini. And should she need more money to expand her luxurious living, she could simply enact a new tax. And all of this made her extremely unpopular. She made many enemies, and like many influential historical women before her, rumors swirled around her, speculating on how she might have such a hold over the Pope. Sexual scandal, witchcraft, devilry, espionage, poison for her enemies, and much more. The church railed against the domination of a woman, or the church in the hands of a whore, and criticized the Pope that Olympia took such liberties with her power and papal control. This was also around the time that she earned her other nickname, which we began this episode with, Pimpatia, which meant sinful woman. But her influence and power could not last forever. And eventually, in 1655, Pope Innocent X fell ill and was reaching the end of his life. And Olympia knew that the moment he was dead, all of the protections that kept her safe to be as bold as she pleased would be gone in an instant. And her enemies absolutely would move against her to remove her influence and to enact revenge for all the obstacles she had placed in their path. She knew she couldn't just wait for this to happen. She had to act quickly and come up with a plan. And this is why, on January 7th, 1655, as the Pope was lingering in his last hours of life, Olympia made her move. While the rest of the Vatican was in an uproar about the impending papal death, Olympia was moving chests loaded with Vatican gold that she'd been secreting away for months. 
These chests were loaded into her black carriage, and before the Pope breathed his last, Olympia, the secret popess, the Pimpatia, fled the Vatican with her treasures, never to be seen in Rome again. It's said she robbed the Vatican of so much money they were unable to properly bury the Pope in the funeral customs he deserved, and so he remained unburied until he was already in an advanced state of decomposition. Olympia had gone to her abbey, San Martino Alcimino in Viterbo, and when the next pope, Alexander VII, ordered her to return all the gold she'd absconded with, she refused and stayed far away. She would die only two years later of the plague, but very soon after her death, witnesses began to report seeing the Pimpatia, dressed in her widow's black, in the Piazza Navona, in her carriage, on the anniversary of her flight never to be seen again, until the next year, when more reports of seeing her flee the scene of her crime happened again and again and again. So this brings us back to the beginning of the episode. Many people have claimed to have seen Olympia fleeing the Vatican on late January nights ever since, and claim that she's cursed to repeat her damnable act for eternity. So much so, that she's become one of the most famous ghosts of the whole ancient city, and subject to many walking tours who will take you to see her palace, her fountain, and the bridge which she hurdles out of the city year after year. So if you happen to be in Rome in January, keep your eyes open, and you too might catch a glimpse of the secret female pope as she ghosts through the streets. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We will wrap up today with a report from an agoraphobia neophyte, Gary. 
host of the French History Podcast, about something funky in the air. Go on, Gary, drop that fat beat and tell us about the dancing plague. ain't no dance party like a medieval dance party because a medieval dance party don't stop. Ever. During the late medieval and early renaissance periods, chroniclers across Europe recorded peasants dancing uncontrollably for days. The largest and most famous of all these was the Dancing Plague of 1518 in Strasbourg. This all began on a hot day in July when Frau Tofea started dancing in the city's square. There was no music, no scheduled festival or event. Without warning, Trophea began gyrating, twirling, and jerking uncontrollably. Even as night fell, she kept dancing, continuing into the following day. As if her antics were not strange enough, soon others joined her. By August, up to 400 people danced without ceasing in the square, in streets, and in alleys, some until they collapsed or even died of stroke or heart failure. Physicians and priests quickly grew concerned as they watched their fellows succumb to the madness. Men of science claimed that the dancing was caused by hot blood and that the ill people would eventually cease their silliness and recover. To this end, the city arranged for professional dancers accompanied by drummers and musicians, to dance alongside the afflicted, giving some coordination to the spasmodic movements of the crowd, while hopefully bringing them to a stopping point. Even when the music stopped and the professional dancers stood still, those infected continued their hypnotic movements. When science failed, the burghers turned to religion. Fearing that some devilry was afoot, the city government banned music, dancing, and ordered a public penance. Even this did not end the epidemic. As a last-ditch effort, the city forcibly relocated the dancers to the nearby shrine of St. Vitus, who people believed had power over dancing. There the dancers were given crosses and red shoes and forced to walk around a wooden effigy of the saint in supplication. This strange episode continued into September when suddenly the dancing ceased. Chroniclers were rightly baffled at the sudden mania and its disappearance, perhaps fearing that it could reoccur without warning. Yet no such event befell the city again, at least none in such large numbers. The dancing plague of Strasbourg remains a mystery to historians. Some doubt that it even occurred, although the general consensus is that it did, given the ample sources chronicling the event. This bout of unrestrained boogieing almost certainly did happen, although debate remains over just how widespread and deadly it was. No contemporary source records any deaths, though later ones insist that there were. Moreover, there is disagreement over the number of dancers involved, with low estimates running at 50, while the higher end records 400. Now to the most important question. What caused the dancing? 
demonic possession was a popular theory among the religious, though that has since fallen out of fashion. Since then, historians have attempted to provide rational explanations for this irrational behavior. The go-to explanation for inexplicable behavior for many scholars is fungus, specifically ergot. This fungus often attaches to grains and is the primary substance used in the hallucinogenic drug LSD. While plausible, ergot is usually blamed for all kinds of strange behavior, regardless of type or outward physical signs, and some historians claim that the demonic visions and activity in Salem, Massachusetts were fancies caused by this fungus. Given how geographically dispersed these were, and the wildly different behavior it caused, dissident critics bemoan how ergot is used to rationalize widespread outrageous behavior for which historians have no reasonable theory. One camp of historians claims that the dancing plague was an example of mass hysteria, brought on by the trauma of famine and disease, particularly from novel diseases brought over from the newly discovered Western Hemisphere, such as syphilis, of which Europeans had never encountered before. Still, other historians argue that the dancing plague was the product of a mysterious religious cult, whose activities and motives remain unknown to this day. We may never know what overcame the people of Strasbourg, nor those other afflicted peoples throughout the medieval period. These bizarre occurrences are just as weird and indefinable to us in the present as they were to those who experienced them. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 